ahead and open up your ears, your mind, and whatever else you need. You're listening to Talk Dirty to Me. Hello, all you sexy beasts, and welcome back to Talk Dirty to Me, the podcast where three friends with three different perspectives on kink, fetish, and sex talk dirty to one another. And with us today, we have Tosin Aufeso, the kink oracle. Hello. Stephanie Slayton, the queen of spankos. Oh, hi there. Me, Daisy, your neighbor femdom, and I apologize. I'm the problem today. If there's weird audio, it's because I'm on a work trip and I couldn't bring my fancy microphone. But it doesn't matter because we have a fucking fantastic guest for you today that I'm super pumped about. Tosin, you want to take it away? Yes, absolutely. So I am happy and honored and proud to introduce Jake Wing. He is one of the founders and instructors of Austin Rope Slingers. If you've heard my story with Journey of Learning Rope, that's one of the first places I went to to ever to go tie somebody up or like get like professional rope training at. They've been going on for quite some time. And I'll let Jake give you the details on it. But he's been doing it for a while. We've been wanting to do an episode talking about Shibari and rope and rope bondage. And personally, you're one of the best people I can think of to talk about it with. You know, there's a couple other rope people in community we're hoping to get on to, but I'm glad we got you here as well. So yeah, Jake, say hi. Tell us how you got in the rope and anything else that I missed about you in that intro. <laughs> cool. Hello, folks. Uh, as far as how I got into rope, that's that's an old story. I mean, back puberty. <laughs> I want to hear it. Yes, please. Okay. Me too. I, I read a lot of comic books and there was a Wonder Woman comic book where <laughs> she got tied to the railroad tracks with her own golden lasso. And I was about 13 when I read that. And it created funny feelings in my pocket region. Pocket region. <laughs> but uh, so it was definitely something that interested me. And when I started being an adult and, and sexually active, I, that's the main thing that I do in the bedroom is people up. And throughout the 20th century anyway, I didn't do it very well. Nobody nobody was teaching it back then. And so I was trying to, to reverse engineer it from bad porn. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse engineering from bad porn is unfortunately how a lot of us get upset. Um. <laughs> Well, yeah. guys, and so then in the uh, 21st century, I found a partner that was very interested in it as well. And we started a website in 2000, which ran for about two and a half years. It never made much money. I mean, more than beer money, but it was fun to do. And, you know, I've been tying kind of publicly and in the scene ever since then. Lately, in the last 10 years or so, I've been teaching various places, Austin Road Singers, as mentioned, but also I teach some stuff nationally and privately. I have a couple things to say. One is, this is not the first time I have heard of somebody saying the old Wonder Woman comics getting them into <laughs> rope. Like, apparently yeah. it's a thing, which is fascinating. Yeah. I want to go back and read them now. There's like some low-level secret kink in that comic series. When it's was not the even all that secret. Also, lots of oh, spanking really? in it. Really? <laughs> read it now. Yeah, Wonder Woman does get spanked an inordinate amount. Yes. Well, <laughs> there's a film about the creator of the Wonder Woman comics and both he and his partner were into BDSM and rope tying and spanking and so I think that it just oh, kind of crept in there. Oh, funny. And they were poly also. Oh my 
Yeah. And they were what? So they were poly. Polyamorous, yeah. Yes, yes. And they were poly. Yeah. When did you, so you saw that in a comic book at 13. Mm-hmm. What was the moment you realized that tying people up was a thing, though? Like it was a kink. Like when was the first time you saw it for real and was like, oh shit, that's something I can actually do? You mean something other than like in dramas or, you know, or yeah, well, I'm, I'm imagining when you were 13, you probably saw it and didn't go, oh, I understand that that's a whole kink unto itself that I can actually enact on other people. Like, you probably were just like, that's hot and I don't know why, right? Yeah, or my that's right, exactly. Yeah. In fact, you know... I'm going to show my age here that I'm, I'm 61 years old. So this was like the seventies, you know, and there was no internet. There was no, I grew up in Oklahoma. I thought I was alone. I thought I was <laughs> sick, you know? And so it took me a long time to, to find out that there were other people like me. Yeah. Um, do you and, remember the yeah. moment where you saw Shibari or rope type for the first time? You're like, Oh my God, I am well, part of a community. Yeah. Back then there was porn again, but kind of <laughs> a inclusive porn. It was a company called Harmony Publications, and they put out a bunch of bondage magazines. And one of them was called Bondage Life. And it was not just, you know, professional photographers and professional models. Uh, They took letters and and stuff from other people all over the country and submissions. And they would, I mean, there was amateur work in there, in that magazine. And that's what kind of clued me in that I, there were other people that liked. So then, you know, I had a couple of, well, I had a, a partner finally that she was a little older than I was. But I was like, this was in my early 20s. I'm like, let's try this thing. She agreed and the rest is history. That's so cool. How did you become good at it? Like if it, if it was, you know, back in the day, there was nobody teaching. Like, did you, was it just searching for... I don't know. Like a, a lot of it, trial and error. Mm. And I got to tell you that really, I didn't become good until I mean, I, I was doing it ten or fifteen years based on you know what I was seeing and born and what I learned by you know figuring it out. Uh, mm-hmm. But I really didn't until I saw some people doing it, doing it well, and got some instructions. Back in two thousand two, there's a, a group here in Austin called Gwyn Group with no name, and they have every something called the Gwyn Bash every year, and they brought in a, Shib- a Shibari person, a famous at that time still famous a uh, lady named Midori Eve. and I took a class from her and that's when I um, I started to understand the the importance of tension I got some understanding the way that the eastern stuff worked because I had been doing pretty much damsel in distress type work throughout the 20th century I will say that I found when I was 17 I found a magazine in the back of a used bookstore in Beaumont Texas and it was a Japanese magazine it was and it was all pretty Asian women tied up with sisal rope and like a single tear rolling down the cheek and uh, it was hot and different and so i knew what japanese rope was i just didn't know how to do it yeah and cool. you you bring up something that was like i didn't even consider until i had heard you talk about it which was my introduction to rope was going to a play party at the bacchanal and seeing tom it's another person in the community who's ties a lot of people up tie someone up and i just was mm-hmm. transfixed and like mostly at just like watching someone i had been seen running around the party like like very graceful very flexible very bubbly and like functional slowly lose all of their ability to like do anything like the time it took to like get her tied up and put up in suspension and you know this person that i've seen like that had like so much energy and was like running around and stuff just being like completely like blissed out and relaxed and spinning around like complete loss of control over all of her limbs i was just like Mm -hmm. well that i'm in that that i want that (laughs) i want to make people make that face (laughs) 
and yeah. and it looked beautiful and it was like i was like i like making art out of people and he was doing shibari and i didn't even realize there was a difference mm-hmm. until you had brought up like well western rope and eastern rope are different from each other yeah i mean there's definitely some similarities and duplication i think maybe like you know people you're tying human bodies and so some some ways of doing that is are going to be similar no matter where you come up with it i did not know there were two different styles there's an eastern and a western can we talk about the differences between the two? Oh, there's probably a lot more than two different styles oh, um, no. but uh, those are the two main styles um, and and First, I need to probably clarify the terms a little bit. Some people talk about Western rope as if, and what they're talking about is uh, Western culture's interpretation of Eastern rope. So within the umbrella of shibari, you've got Easterners and Westerners doing shibari. And so that's not really what I'm talking about. When I talk about Western rope, I'm talking about more like the, it came out of Hollywood and and was on uh, detective magazines, the damsel in distress type stuff. And there's also a large, I mean, there's still that, dichotomy the western a lot of the western riggers are more there's more money involved in western rigging modern you'll see a lot more websites devoted to western rope where people are they're gagged and bound and there's a little bit of drama to it like kidnapping or, or, or such as that but some of just like the the physical things you'll see is you're less likely to see a suspension with western rope i won't say that you i mean these are trends not rules you're more likely to see a gag in western rope limbs are more likely to be together like this whereas eastern they're more likely to be like this yeah and by but again by, that's by like that's this you know like arms parallel yeah. to your chin holding over each other instead right. of like out in front of you or like tied together or behind you yeah <laughs> yeah and western rope's more likely to use like man-made rope nylon or, or such as that or they'll go with cotton eastern rope is more likely to be jute or hemp so a lot of differences but there's a lot of similarities too and I, I, my personal style i try to blend them i like to do both sometimes in the same tie so shibari started as like a form of torture in japan yeah that's like the ori- origin of shibari more like not so much torture well, i mean aspects of it were torture but like prisoner you know ways to restrain prisoners one of the things that i know about japanese culture is that they didn't have much iron on that little island. And so, you know, in Europe and the Western world, blacksmiths were pounding out chains and the Japanese were saving the steel for beautiful, wonderful swords. And so they would use, you know, natural materials for binding and building. That's why you see a lot more like bamboo and and things like that in uh, Japanese culture than you would. And really, I'm talking about not modern times, but medieval times. That's interesting. So it came out out of necessity because they that was just the tool they had to use. Yeah, uh, I mean, then, I'm not an expert on that, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's that has something to do with it. Yeah, my, my like nerding out. And about I'm not it. an expert either, but you can't convince me that it still didn't start with kink somewhere in there. Oh, <laughs> just like to put all of that effort into how beautiful the rope is, because I googled some of the images from the 1400s and what they were using on prisoners, and it just seems like an awful lot of work for <laughs> restraining a prisoner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There was like um, there's like a combat version of it too that Ojujutsu. Yeah. And and it's like yeah. that you learned literally instead of a sword, you'd be able to like while 
in a fight with someone be able to like restrain them so there's all these like quick things you can do for like getting a wrist lock tying them up like some of the one rope stuff that has come out now started with like this combat style rope things and it's like mm-hmm. that was that was a nerdy hole i went down for a little while i mean like you know japanese soldiers really out there just tying people up on the battlefield <laughs> committed yeah well and i think you know i think that if we just go back to the middle ages we're not going back far enough i really think rope is probably you know mankind's third tool you know we had the we had the sharp rock we had the club and at some point we made an axe and we did that by tying those two things together right so anytime anybody you know talks about inventing rope bondage i think probably you know some caveman did that to yeah. their wife around the campfires so <laughs> guys yeah actually in saying that one of the things i was going to ask is because i found it to be really impactful is so when you go to when you go to a ars class there's usually like some intermediate or advanced technique being taught in one place and there's a one-on-one class and the first one-on-one class i took jake talk and your opening safety talk I found to be really good. So I was going to ask, because I, I think it's good to just hear in general. So if I would love it if you would give that like opening safety speech that you give like about rope and safety and stuff. It's like 10 minutes. You sure? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have, we have <laughs> okay. time. Like, and we'll, right. we'll pause and ask questions if we want to, but I, I think it's a really valuable 10 minute spiel. So. Okay. So when I teach beginner rope and Austin Rope Singers, we try to do that. Uh, we have a class every Monday night. And for some reason, there's, uh, a ton of beginners that show up every Monday night. And so we we teach beginner rope to everyone. And part of that is to try to talk about the safety. And so the first thing I, I, I talk about is that rope is a murder weapon. Rope is an execution method. Rope is a, a way to commit suicide. It's dangerous and, you, and you've got to respect it. That being said, you know, our car is pretty dangerous too. Fire is pretty dangerous. These are all things that we deal with every day. And so I always tell people that the most important safety rule when dealing with rope and maybe with a lot of things is don't be stupid, right? And so when I, the stupid can creep up. I want to uh, tell you a story and I don't know if this is, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is true because I've seen it in multiple places, but they were all on the internet. So take it with a grain of salt, but it sounds very plausible. A gentleman and two ladies became, all became enamored of each other at a place. This happened in Europe, I believe, and they, they had been drinking. And so they decided that it would all, it would be a great thing for them all to go to a private location and have some kinky, sexy fun. And so the gentleman tied up the two ladies, both of them, and then took rope and put it around one of their neck and took it up over a pipe and then tied it around the other ladies. And then because he'd been drinking, he passed out. And so when he woke up, one of those ladies was dead and the other one was in a coma. And so I think that the thing that we can we can agree on is that all of those people were stupid. This is a true story? You know, I, I've been telling it for a long time and I, I know that I found it on the internet at one point to just because I wanted to ask that question myself. And I did see it but don't ask me for the link now because uh, I've been telling that story for quite a while. But uh, yeah, it's 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 the kind of thing that that can happen, and I think it probably almost certainly has happened. And I think the thing there is that, and I tell people I don't want to, you know, we're all adults. If we're if we're watching this podcast, I hope we're adults, and so I'm not going to say never do this, never drink and do rope. 
Okay. But I would say don't do it while you're drinking and certainly don't do dangerous things. I mean, when you're, when you're drunk, the, the stupid sneaks up on you. If you think there's something, you know, if you're going to do something and there's about a 1% chance that something bad might happen. Well, if the bad thing that happens is that you are on your knees and you fall on your face and maybe you break your nose and if, if thing is, things are terrible, um, then uh, that's probably a risk worth taking if that if you find it to be fun or enjoyable. Uh, you know, skateboarders take bigger risks than that. Those same odds, though, if the risk is, you know, if it's a 1% risk of failure, but the result of failure is death or serious injury, then that's not cool. That's not enough. That's not enough certainty. And you can't make this stuff safe, but you can make it safer. You can be smart about it. You can not be stupid. And so uh, my cat wants to join. Um, Man, they should. Tosin, we can't hear you. Okay. All right. Still hear me? Oh, sorry. Fresh. That was me. Yeah. No, we're yeah. cat friendly here. <laughs> we we okay, got good. we got cats walking all over stuff everywhere. Trust me. If Sam, if Sam Marie I'm was here, my toes. <laughs> yeah. If Sam Marie was here, yeah. we would take a four minute diversion to talk about kitties. <laughs> okay. So you know, short of death, there are some safety considerations. Again, as as long as you're as you're not stupid, as long as you're smart about it, probably not going to encounter a situation that's that dangerous. But, you know, when people talk about rope, they always talk about what the, oh my God, you're going to cut off your circulation, right? Has everybody heard that at some point? Mm-hmm. You rope, you're going to cut off your circulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not as much of a risk as everybody thinks. I mean, we've all gone to sleep on our arm and woken up with it all weird and it's tingly and it barely moves. And then five minutes yeah. later, it's fine, right? And that may have been, we may have been sleeping on that for hours, Okay. And it's not much of a problem. Um, I'm not saying that that's not dangerous, but it's not as dangerous as everybody thinks it is. What is kind of a risk is that rope can impinge your nerves. So if you put a, you know, a, a collapsing slip knot on somebody's wrist and then they start pulling on it, you can, there's all kinds of nerves that are up in your wrist. You can, you can cause problems for mobility, for sensitivity. There are like three main nerves that comes through your arm that can cause problems. And this is not just I mean, suspension is where you're more likely to encounter this because you've got more weight on that rope. But you can cause nerve issues when you're on the ground because anytime you press hard on those nerves, you can you can cause problems. And nerve damage can last for seconds, minutes, days, weeks, months, or never heal. And it's just so the other thing I want to say about the possibility of nerve damage is that if you are in the rope and it feels weird, it's probably a nerve impingement. Okay. I've had people say things like, my hands are big. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, they're the same size. Oh, oh, this is a nerve problem. So I take the rope off quickly or, or sometimes it's just a matter of moving it, getting it off that nerve. But if, if they say something uh, that's you know unusual, if it feels unusual, then it's probably a, a nerve issue. There's a the radial nerve comes through your upper arm right here, and a lot of people do tight rope on that up, upper arm, and you can cause something called wrist drop in your hand. You can do this, but you can't do this. <laughs> yeah, that's like holding your hold your hand being limp, but you can't straighten it back up. You can't you can't yep. keep your hand in a high five position and just kind of like fall no, flat. No, <laughs> Right, and I actually did that to myself once. I slept on it wrong, and I woke up. I'm like, I know what this is. I know exactly what this is. And I will tell you that it, it, I regained full movement in about two minutes. The whole back of my hand was numb. That came back in about 10 minutes. And then for the rest of the day, it was weird. 
like I said, nerve stuff is weird. I could feel myself touch my, the back of my hand, but I could not feel how hard I was touching it. I was numb to pressure. And so it all came back fine eventually. But uh, the other thing I want to say about that is that it, there was never any pain. And so you can cause nerve issues without actually, you know, the warning and pain. So just be aware of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And to say like, you know, when I'm talking to anybody I'm tying up, especially since I consider myself a beginner, which honestly, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And most of the rope community people I've been with, even people who've been tying for like 10 years are still like, eh, you know, I'm, but like, I'm, I've probably been in like three, three, four years now and mm-hmm. not tying like super, super regularly, but I tie a lot. And so anybody I tie, I was like, listen, it is very, very important to me <laughs> if I'm tying you up and anything at all feels strange, say it immediately. You know, circulation stuff is not an emergency. Anything else is an emergency. <laughs> and I was like, if you tell me a leg is numb, we can take the time to fix that. If you tell me that, like, I can't feel two of my fingers, but I can feel the rest of them. I'm like, <laughs> hurry up, get out. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I did a music video one time and there was a rigger involved on on mm-hmm. the set because my character was being murdered by this couple. And mm-hmm. I had to go to her place beforehand to kind of go through it before we actually shot it on the day. And she was so like strict about me being vocal with anything. And she's like, and it was a pretty intense tie up that I was in. She was like, I can get you out in 40 seconds flat. She was like, so just, yeah. you got to just do that. And and the entire time we were on set, she was like, I even felt like my body could have gone longer, but she was just so overly careful. And I really appreciated that because I felt so super safe with her but it also gave me the thought of like oh this could go badly like if someone left me here this could be really terrible well and that's the next thing i would talk about in a safety talk is that if you have made someone helpless they are your responsibility you should have a plan uh for if the building catches on fire you know and it should be a better plan than just like good luck i'll be out front Um, (laughs) uh, and so some people will say that you should never leave uh, somebody that is bound alone in a room and i am uh, like i said earlier i'm not going to say anything absolutely so i mean i think if you've tied somebody's wrists together in the front and then you need to go to the bathroom go ahead you'll be all right i mean if the house does catch on fire they can still get outside they can even pound on the door on the way out and say, hey, I smell smoke. But if you've got somebody, you know, hogtied and blindfolded, you better hold it. You know, mm-hmm. you better wait until they're free. And you should also have a quick way to get them out of that. If you're tying, you should have a cutting tool of some kind on you and know how to use it. I use, I cheat because I have this on me all the time. This is a Gerber multi-tool that has, it's sharp on the blade, but it's dull right there. So I can slip it up under rope and cut. Mm. Have you ever had an instance where you had to do that? Um, if anybody has been tying for a while and they answer that question negatively, uh, don't tie with them. Okay. <laughs> yep. okay. Because <laughs> this stuff, yeah, it happens occasionally. I have, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I probably cut rope. I occasionally cut rope for fun. But I cut rope in a, a semi-emergency type situation. I've never had a real emergency. Semi-emergency type situation, probably twice a year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's average. Yeah. I've, I've only come close one time. I messed up a Somerville bowline and it collapsed. And I was having a hard enough time getting it out. And the, the person was like, I'm having some like nerve things. And I was like, I literally like I had it next to me. And if I hadn't gotten out in 10 more seconds, I would have been cutting it off. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. so, and I'll, I'll tell I'll tell a story on myself. Probably my most recent time that I cut rope. I had a I have a good friend who trusted me with something. She was six months pregnant. Oh, 
And yeah, and so that was kind of a big thing. And I wanted to, we wanted to do something together and we, we tried this thing and about three quarters of the way through it, I, she started to feel faint, like she was going to pass out. And so I don't know what happened. I mean, this thing is on me my entire adult life. I reached Make in the her. pocket where it's, yeah, I reached in the pocket where it's supposed to be. It wasn't there. I don't even remember why it wasn't. I've got a pagoda here where I do tying and we were right there. My live-in partner had suggested that we put shears on like a month before. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And so I had kind of built-in suspenders there. And the woman that uh, I had tied didn't notice that there was a problem. Just took the shears out, cut them down. Thank goodness for those shears. I gave my partner Truly. big props for that. Yes. <laughs> And and the thing there too is that you got to be humble because some people get good at this and they they assume that they can do no wrong. I've been doing this for a long time and I will still screw up occasionally. Yep. Yeah. I you know as people have asked me about like getting rope and like picking riggers and stuff. I the one of the first things I say is like go to classes. Yeah, the best thing you do is like get around people who've been doing it a long time so you can get your own vibe and feel for it. I understand social anxiety and not really being around a lot of people, but I think specifically in this being able to look at someone and like their mannerisms and how they negotiate and do all that is really, really important. But giant red flags for me for riggers is overconfidence. Like if they're, if they're not willing to be like, oh yeah, I, I can make mistakes. This is dangerous. There are things can go wrong. Like if they're not humble, that's, that can put you in a lot of bad situations. And also if like, they don't talk to you at all about like you and your body and what it needs and uh, like come up with ways to like signal things like if you meet somebody and like oh i'd love for you to tie me up and they're just like cool yank out some rope and start tying you uh, that's uh, that those are that's a big red flag for me <laughs> no you gotta rope scenes really need to be negotiated yeah, yeah in a big way i was like even, even what, what kind of thing needs to be nego- like what does that look like a negotiate negotiation look like like what's like if i wanted to go get tied up what should i ask well, first you should vet your rigor. Okay. And when I mean when I say that is you should, like Tosin said, go to something public, see if you can watch them tie, see if, you know, or if they have an online presence, see if they've got some work out there that looks competent, that looks like something that you'd be interested in. But also, and, and here's the weird thing. Don't. You can ask other riggers about the person that you're vetting. You can ask about their competence, but their trustworthiness, ask bottoms, ask people that they have tied. Mm. Okay. Because rope tops or rope tops in general really don't know for sure what happens in private. Bottoms know that. Yeah. And a significant amount of rope tops don't ever tie themselves. Like I, right. I've done to myself most things. That I've done to other people, if it's like feasible, like short of suspending myself, like, well, suspending my whole body, I've tried to at least give myself some experience of like what it feels like. But like, I, I don't, even me, I don't have the experience of being completely tied up by another person. And so right. I don't feel comfortable speaking to that experience. <laughs> well, and uh, as far as negotiation too, in a negotiation, uh, there's kind of two negotiation styles. And if you're negotiating for the, for the first time, you should, should use the explicit style. That's where, where you talk about, you know, we're going to do rope, we're going to, you know, maybe do a little impact play, and that's it. Um, that explicit, it's like, these are the things we're going to do and and nothing else. Um, the, the other thing that people fall into, because it's it's a lot easier to talk about, to talk out, just say the implicit style is like, well, I, I don't want to do this or this or this. That means that anything else goes. 
Jesus. And it may be that the bottom who says those three things is not as imaginative as the top. And there may be a lot of things that the top can think of that the bottom doesn't want to have anything to do with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we and so we had a yeah, we had right. a joke episode or joke in an episode talking about that, which was like, oh yeah, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, oh, can I dip my finger in pee and poke it in your eye? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Well, but you didn't think about that. Did Chainsaw you? play. <laughs> oh, God. You didn't say we couldn't, right? Oh, my yeah. God. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. So explicit. And the other thing is I would say to tops is really, you know, don't don't be a rules lawyer on that. Because when we're when we're doing this kind of thing, if I were walking down the street, I mean the things that I like to do to people, if I were walking down the street and I grabbed somebody and started doing those things, I would be arrested. And rightfully so. The the reason that I can do these things in a in an honorable way, in a in a legal way, in a in an enjoyable way, is that there are people in the world who want those things done to them. And that symmetry is what allows the whole BDSM scene to work. And so if we find those people that allow that, we need to maintain that. We need to protect that. And to that end, we need to protect the people who are involved. And so anytime you're negotiating, if you think you've found a loophole, don't, don't exploit it. Uh, use the, the, the spirit of the negotiation. Letter. Yeah. Don't be a rules lawyer. Yeah. And and the spirit of the negotiation, like leaning towards the most safe and most restrictive version. I, and I bring that up because I had heard of a situation where like somebody wanted to be in a like a fairly rough CNC thing, mm-hmm. but like had hit on during the scene had hit upon a trigger that it could be easy to interpret that like oh yeah this is exactly this is what you want and this is what you described that you wanted, but they the the bottom was surprised themselves that that happened and so like you can interpret the spirit of the negotiation to be like yeah do what you told me not to do because that's how it goes but the spirit of negotiation is like take care of the person in front of you like it's the one of the things that i love so much about like bdsm in general and kink in general is like the type of trust and care that's underneath these what a lot of people would describe as despicable things is really really beautiful to me like i'm just like yeah. and i was like yeah. look look how how romantic it is that you're trying to find ways to do safe words so that you can drown somebody in a murky pool that's that's so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> I've done I've done that actually. I mean, it wasn't murky, but uh, <laughs> our safe word. I mean, as I she was bound and I was standing on her in the shallow end of a pool. Her safe word, which was really our signal for me to let her up, was just for her to wiggle her butt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that worked great. She loved it. Yep. Yeah. No, I think the the murky pool one was holding a holding a a balloon underwater, and so yeah. you know, is when you see the balloon, game. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's. And that's beautiful. Like a whole, like the, the person like presented in a public forum that we were in and we like, Hey, my friend wants to do the scene. I'm kind of, I, I haven't really thought about like a good, reliable <laughs> mechanism for this. Anybody have any ideas, any thoughts? And I was like, this is great. This is beautiful. This is so romantic. <laughs> Well, I think I saw that scene. Is this recent? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. You're right? you're in Pinky. It was in yeah. Pinky. Somebody wanted, yeah, some, yeah. Basically, somebody wanted to like do like a kidnapping, drowning scene where they're like basically strangling somebody under dirty, murky water. And we're like, I don't know how we're gonna signal it. She won't be. She'll be gagged. She'll be. I'm oh. like gonna be throwing her around under water. <laughs> so it'll be hard to see. Cool. And somebody came up with the balloon idea. I didn't see the scene actually happen. I wish I had. That looks like a fascinating time. But I was in the thread of the discussion for it. So that's pretty much my whole 
whole safety talk. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate it. I was like, Thank yeah, I, I found it super valuable. And like, I've taken a lot of those things with me, especially the like, the person you tie up is your responsibility, have a plan for getting them out if there's a fire. Like I had a, I had a yep. partner that I had like, you know, somewhat of like a chest harness with our arms in front of them. And they were like, I really need a waffle. And I'm like, cool, I'll go make your waffle. I was like, no, I want to do it. I need a waffle in the middle of <laughs> being tied up. What? Yeah. And they were like, I want to do it. I need and a they, snack. And, and their legs were open and stuff. And it's like, like you said, the 1% risk there is, you know, if you don't have your hands free and you fall, you can't break your fall. And so you can hurt yourself really bad. And I was just like, hey, <laughs> can I make the waffle? <laughs> yeah, but they really want to do it. And I'm like, okay. look, I'll, you can make, the, if it's important to you, you can go make, go to your kitchen and make the waffle, but I'm standing next to you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And that's the right compromise to make. I mean, let them walk around, but just make them aware that if they fall, they're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tie, like a favorite go-to tie that you just love, or is it just whatever the mood strikes? I kind of do, and it's it, it's really pretty simple tie. I, I like something called an arm binder. It's basically arm binder. a strict okay. rope behind the behind the back. It's kind of a cool like triangle shape of the arms, and it makes people have very good posture. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, pretty. Do you <laughs> do you have? Are there multiple kind of ropes? Like, is there a type of rope that people should not do use if somebody's listening and they're just like, "I'm gonna go to Home Depot and get some rope." <laughs> Don't go to Home Depot and um, get rope. <laughs> go, go to Home Depot and get some rope. Um, <laughs> no, I have. <laughs> I have rope in my in my bag. Like golfers have golf clubs, different kinds of rope for different things. There's a lot of people, I mean, the strict Eastern style, people use handmade jute mm -hmm. and it's wonderful. I love it. But it is, it is caveman technology. It is twisted grass. And so it's not as strong as some other things might be. And in fact, it's, I mean, cotton is the only thing that you might use. Cotton is wonderful for bondage. Don't suspend with it. And jute, it's got such a, a wonderful feel and it holds a knot so well, but it's, it's, it's not as strong as some. Things. A lot of people use it for uplines, and I'm okay with that. But I personally, that's outside my risk factor. I use jute on the body, and then I'll use something else for an upline. Uh, hemp is another natural material that's, that's soft and stronger than jute. I might use that for an upline, but I'm more likely to use man-made like nylon or or something like that. Nylon is wonderfully colorful, and it's it, you can use it also for like if you're going to do something in the pool or something like that nylon rope you can throw it in the washing machine wash it and dry it and it'll be fine um, you do that with jute rope and you just have a washing machine full of grass um, <laughs> that would be i'm sure that's happened and that made somebody very sad yes <laughs> yes and i've heard and that jute when rope is when about a they, foot right now what's that whoa a dollar a foot yeah yeah I've heard that the impressions that the rope leaves on you are called shibari kisses. Is that accurate? <laughs> they, they, certainly you can call them that. <laughs> There's a lot of nomenclature that gets batted back and forth. Uh, and shibari kisses is good. I tied a person for a little while that had a tattoo on her foot. And it was a rope mark. And it was very realistic. Oh. And I'm, uh, I was like, well, I didn't. I didn't put any rope there. And they're like, yeah, that's been there for a year. But they had they had <laughs> taken a photograph of an actual rope mark and took it to the tattoo artist. And, yeah. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really awesome. Yeah, Shabari Kisses is actually one I haven't heard yet. Yeah, I dig it. Oh, yeah.
yeah, something else I want to ask is like, you talked about it a little bit. There's lots of different like motivations for why people like, like to do rope. There are people who like to do it because they like making people pretty. There are people who enjoy the surrender aspect of it. There are people who like the tactile mathematical challenge. What would you say is like, what is your motivation like behind it? And what's been like an interesting motivation you've heard or seen from somebody else? Well, I have two motivations and it really kind of goes to, to two different styles. Kind of desperate, like almost, I call it kind of dark, almost CNC type rope is what I mentioned earlier, the, the pocket region. That's what does it for me. <laughs> uh, and so that erotic type of forced orgasm type type stuff like that, that's that's what I enjoy in, in the bedroom. But I also am very much enamored of the, the artistic style of of making someone a piece of art, you know, whether it be a suspension or even I've done some things I like. There's kind of an objectification fetish. Uh, I've done things like here in Austin, there's a big party that happens once a month called Trine. And there's like 300, 400 people in this big room. And I will take a beautiful person and tie them to a pole in like clear view of everyone. And I will just stand back and leave them there for a while so that people can admire them as they're bound. And so that that artistic that that making person a, a beautiful a person a beautiful object is something that I enjoy as well. As far as other people's motivations, some people like those things from the from the other end, or I'd be bored. But also, there's a lot of people that I mean BDSM as, aspects of it, it's like submission. But there's also some people that are challenged by it. They want to. It's almost like a athletic challenge to endure this thing that may be painful or difficult and is so an endorphin rush is something that they're looking for in that situation. I know I know a lot of self-tires um, who like to tie themselves up and, and create their, their own art in that way. And, and so there's a lot of accomplishment in that. One of the best riggers in Austin is a, a lady named Kim Lee. And I have seen her tie herself and suspend herself from a one leg and then have her submissive is on the floor and she will hanging upside down tie that person and then suspend it and it's it's an amazing level of skill that uh, um, I, I'm in awe of it. Yeah, no, Kim, Kim Lee's one one of the other ones that I brought up as like some of the best teachers in Austin. Like yeah. she's yeah. she definitely gave me one of my other formative rope experiences. She she runs this thing called Reclamation Rope, which is kind of her and another partner who's a, a black person teach rope and like in a in a space that's for people of color because you know rope has a couple of sides to it in regards to like being a black person. And so being in that space up until that point, I had been really like I don't want to do things in front of people that I'm not a hundred percent sure going to be good right like I, I i think the largest risk i've ever taken outside of reclamation rope was the first suspension i did that you helped me with who by the way like she still giggles about that <laughs> all the day mm -hmm. she, she was really really impressed with like your consent technique on that for mm -hmm. for everybody that's unaware of it i was tying somebody up for the first time and and suspending them for the first time and i was like i really want to be supervised jake lovingly helped me to do it and he was you know told me he was like hey you probably shouldn't use jute for the upline you have hemp i'm like i do and i needed him to show me something like that was about a rope that was tied on her back before he went to point it out he was like is it okay if i touch her back to show toasting where this is at and she's thoroughly impressed by that <laughs> which you know is a good baseline everybody should do that but mm -hmm. like that was great so up until that i had not done anything that was too risky and kim had put us in a situation that was like okay me who i also agree i would easily put as one of the best in austin and this and another person are going to stand next to these two poles and you three are going to one one tie at a 
one knot at a time go through and make something out of us, right? So me hmm. are going to sit here and we're going to pick a position that we're going to stand in for a significant amount of time, enough time for three people to completely tie them up through three hanks of rope, one knot at a time to do that. And it's me and two other people. And it was like, I was losing my mind inside because I was like, oh man, I have to improvise off of somebody else's rope and I have to I have to come up with solutions for things. And the whole time these two people are uncomfortably standing in this location and one of them is quite what I would literally consider one of the best rope people in Austin. But, you know, getting through that, it was just like, it gave me a brand new type of freedom of being like, oh, I can do whatever I want safely, of course. But like, I was like, there's way more than just like half hitches and single column ties and TKs. Like you can make all kinds of things. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gatekeeping, I think, in rope. And it's, and I, I try to tell people that rope is not rocket science. A rope is, is kind of like, it's like music. I mean, you could learn on a piano to play chopsticks in about 10 minutes, right? And that is music, right? And so you can learn real rope in a small amount of time and use that to have fun safely, relatively safely. That being said, the more you practice, the better you get, the more you're able to achieve. And so don't don't be intimidated by it. If you don't suck at it first, you're never you're never going to get good at it. Yeah. It's true of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think Harry are... Houdini was into rope? Mm-hmm. What's that? So do you think Harry Houdini was into like rope play because he was always tying himself up? And, Truth. And, and, or he let other like, people do it. Yeah. yeah. And like I think that's how he died too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ruptured spleen while he was handcuffed underwater. Good. One of my early internet searches used to be, and I want to say that I am. Ninety-eight percent hetero, and so much of if I if I use pronouns, it's it's from my bias. But so rope is for everybody, though. And just because I talk about a woman or her being in, in rope, rope is for. Everybody. But um, interrupting myself, I used to search the internet for women escape artists, just so I could see women. Ah, oh, just to see if they could escape your knots. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, to see them bound before they to watch them <laughs> try and escape. Yeah, we get we get creative to figure the stuff out. We That's really right. do. yeah. How long? What is your longest rope session? Like, how, like what is the longest amount of time you spend tying somebody up? That question gets asked a lot. I have done intimate rope with people that lasted an entire weekend. That was not a single tie. But we made a, a pact that I would have rope on that person for the entire weekend, 48 hours. Some of that was pretty simple and some of it was pretty complex. But any particular tie, I think the longest that I've had somebody in a particular tie is like two hours. Mm-hmm. Usually it's more like 45 minutes. And if it takes 45 minutes to tie somebody up, how long do they hang out in that tie? Um, it depends on what you're what you're doing. Sometimes suspensions will take a long time to set up, and then you get them in the air, and you know they they may only be there for a minute. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking photos, get it get it done quickly. Um, yeah, because I've noticed it. I've when I've observed it at Shrine or somewhere, it usually takes a long time to get them up, and then as soon as they're in it, they're like mess with them for thirty seconds and then take them right back out. Well, if it's thirty seconds or a minute, then something is not quite right, unless you're going for something extreme. But that those things that are not quite right happen all the time and so you should be pre- prepared for a suspension until the last 30 seconds for a minute i the most the longest suspension that i've done is probably i've done an hour cool. in the air for an hour yeah wow and there's suspensions and then there's suspensions i mean if you look at a hammock that's made out of rope that is a rope suspension now most shibari is not nearly that comfortable on purpose it's supposed to, some people say it's supposed to hurt i say that it's only supposed to hurt if the bottom wants it to hurt 
everybody has agreed that it should hurt. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's usually going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. We're about at an hour. Is there anything that you think is important to say to people who might be listening and be into rope or want to get into rope? Like, what's the most, no pressure, but like, what am I trying to ask? What's the most important that- thing about rope that anyone could yeah. ever know? Say it right now. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wanted to ask. And I was like, Casey, that's. Don't possible. be stupid. I already said that. Don't be um, stupid. <laughs> but I would say if, you're, if you want to start this type of thing, if you're lucky enough, enough to find it to be in a place where they have local rope groups. If you're in Austin, come to Austin Rope Slingers or nearby. Come check us out. We do stuff every Monday. And there are places, groups like Austin Rope Slingers throughout the country. If you are not lucky enough to be in, in one of those places, seek out. You can find some great resources on the internet. But I always ask people the question, if you were trying to learn how to ride a bicycle, how many internet videos would it take for you to learn? <laughs> what a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not going to learn everything from watching a video. And so the most important thing that a rope top can have is a willing rope bottom. And so that's that can be difficult for some people. That's You can't learn to play the piano without a piano. You cannot. True fact. Yeah. Question for you. Mm-hmm. We have this segment of the show called Casey Tries It, where I try every king possible that we talk about. Would yeah. you be willing to tie me up? Yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And beyond that, you know, it's, a, I mean, fuck yeah, that's, you know, fuck yes or no. Yes, fuck yes. But I mean, we would need to negotiate, but we could do that offline. I love negotiating. Would it, would you be okay if we filmed it? Yes. Amazing. Fuck yeah. I love this. <laughs> I've always wanted to be tied up to this. is the first Casey tries it where I'm like, this is what I want wanted to do. <laughs> so yeah, let's chat offline. I'll get toast and give me contact info and I'll connect with you and we'll figure out how to get it done. Okay. Well, I'm on I'm on the internet, all over the internet. I've got FetLife is Jake underscore wing on. I've had like four Instagrams now. So I think it's just Jake <laughs> underscore wing underscore IV for four. And then on Facebook, I'm just Jake wing. Does Instagram keep shutting you down? Three times so far. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know it's a good page. <laughs> Thanks. You get, you're doing something right. You're getting banned. Yeah. yeah the last, yep. My last one I had, I was playing their game tr- trying to, and I got up to like 19,000 followers. So. Oh, fuck yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, all right. Jake, this is incredible. Thank you so much for guessing on our podcast. I know Tosin's been saying your name for a while and trying to get you on. So we really appreciate you coming out yeah. and um, talking well, about this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you love the show, feel free to become one of our, our patrons on Patreon. But you can find a link to that on our website, littlerenegadefilms.com. You can also make a one-time donation on the website. We also have a form that you can find on the website. You go to littlerenegadefilms.com. You go to podcast. You go to talk to me. You'll find a link to a form. You can fill out if you want to be a guest on the podcast if you suggest somebody that you think would be a great guest um if you have topics you want us to discuss kinks we haven't talked i've been to or anything like that fill it out and we will we will do it so mm-hmm. head over there yeah and and on that end so you know speaking of bands we will be doing a talk dirty to me only fans so we can you know show some of the casey tries it and you know some content that we're not going to do here for example right after this i'm going to be showing stephanie and casey the poem that i wrote that has a religious lean to it and if you want to catch that reaction that will be one of the first things that we put up there yeah so yeah please go check it out Um, yeah so thank you all you sexy beasts for listening in until next time let's all not be stupid but also tie one another up sounds great there you go all right bye all right bye bye 
Talk Dirty to Me is a podcast by Little Renegade Films. It stars Sarah Marie Curry, Casey Sammy E. Casey, why don't you sound real sexy while you do it? <laughs> do I? No, why don't you? Oh, why don't yeah, I? Yeah. Like, okay. you remember how you read your synopsis? And yeah. You're like, oh, you want me to do it like that? Yes! Okay, uh, great. <laughs> okay. Genius. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Talk Dirty to Me is a podcast by Little Renegade Films. It stars Sarah Marie Curry, Casey Samee, Tosin Alifesso, and Stephanie Spoon. Mm. With silent contributions by Taylor Novak. Title and closing themes by Tosin Alifesso. Follow us on the social medias at Talk Dirty to Me Pod. And for more of our offerings, go to LittleRenegadeFilms.com. Mm-hmm.